Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy, and it is about quarter after seven on Thursday, November 15th. Uh, took a week off, been really super busy. Uh, if you know what's been going on in my personal life, I'm buying a house right now. So, yeah, that's taken up a lot of uh, attention, a lot of time, and you know, not to mention this is kind of like a busy season for work, so throw that on, I kind of had to take a week off from the podcast, but a lot has happened in the last uh, two weeks, want to get to a lot. Um, big news coming up this weekend, a lot of fun things going on, uh, going to be going to the Princeton football tailgate, they're going for 10-0 and against Penn, rivalry weekend, their last game of the season, because the way that the Ivy League works is champion doesn't go to the college football playoff of uh one double a they don't send anybody so even though princeton's a really highly ranked team in division one double a this year or whatever you want to call it fcs uh it's you know they're it nothing's going to change they're they're just going to end their season after their 10th game so finishing 10 and 0 would be a really big deal and you know, my family loves to go to these games. I grew up on these Princeton tailgates where we would go to one, two, maybe even three of them a fall. But the way, you know, everyone grows up a little bit. My sister, you know, lives in New York. Uh, you know, I've gotten busy with, you know, the house search and now trying to close on this. And, you know, you just kind of things get in the way. But this would be really cool going and get to see them. They're 9-0. and They keep on beating the crap out of teams in the Ivy League. Uh, they should be beating Penn, and uh, it would be really cool to see them go 10-0. and But uh, we're not going to be able to stay very long after because we got a big day. Uh, my dad, my sister, my girlfriend, and I are going down to Atlantic City right from there to go see Bob Dylan in concert. This marks one of the few living acts that I've never seen that I would love to see. And uh, considering how old Bob Dylan is, you know, pretty good timing because you never know when you know he's old he, he i wouldn't i was surprised to hear that he was still playing so it's pretty cool and it got this and then got elton john in a couple months so that's another one where he's retiring too so you know do i expect him to be great no not at all i i kind of expect it to be a bit of a drag if i'm being 100 percent honest but it's you know i grew up on bob dylan just like Princeton football games, I grew up on Bob Dylan, and you know that was the music that my dad would play when we're you know eating in the backyard and grilling in the summer, and and you know just it's it's my childhood. So uh, this is a really cool thing to get to see, and I'm excited to do it. And you know my mom's not joining us because she really hates Bob Dylan, uh, so she gave my uh, her ticket to my girlfriend and. Uh, I think my girlfriend's going to appreciate a whole lot more than my mom would. So uh, this is going to be fun, but it'll be a packed weekend going from Princeton right down to Atlantic City to go check out this concert. Not really going to get to gamble a whole lot. Not really going to get to do a whole Princeton day, but a little bit of the best from both. And uh, should be a very exciting weekend. So maybe Princeton goes 10-0. and And then following weekend, obviously, is Thanksgiving, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but... After that, RBC will be playing for the state championship. They are also undefeated, so it'd be really awesome to see you know my alma mater and my dad's alma mater go all, go undefeated within a week of each other. That I think that'd be really cool. And 
I think RBC is the higher rated team. They're playing Modern Day, which is pretty crazy because Modern Day was almost not even a program a couple years ago. They almost lost their school, and now they're back, and their football team is thriving. Division three parochial state championship, Modern Day, RBC, Saturday after Thanksgiving at 7 p.m. at the Giant Stadium. I'm super excited for that one. Uh, it does fall, you know, tough timing because you know that's a it's a fun night where everyone likes to go out and everyone likes to have fun. But don't always get this opportunity to go see your alma mater uh, play for a state title. And my coach is back, so you know I, I've seen them. I saw them one a couple of years ago, but my coach wasn't coaching then, uh, Frank Edgerly. So I'm really pulling for him here. And a couple of my teammates are our assistant coaches. So. Uh, pulling for all of these guys, it'd be so cool. They've got a great team. They've got a couple like you know ACC commit type players. I think one kid's going to uh, to Penn uh, or Penn or Yale. Uh, one kid's, I mean, obviously the tight end Bauman uh, is going to Notre Dame. He's like the big shot, and they've just got line all over the place. O line, D line, where they have playmakers at literally every position. I've gone to see a lot of RBC teams. This might be the best team I've seen. Uh, and I was part of some really good teams too. So this is this is really cool, and I'm really pulling for the kids. Uh, this would be something uh, really awesome to close out the Thanksgiving season. So lots of cool things coming up. And then obviously the following Saturday, we've got the Heine uh, Pizza Bar Crawl. I'm going to be getting to that later, but uh, Chris is going to bring on the uh, um, the itinerary, the agenda of where we're going because we'd like to change it up each year and what spots we're going to hit. and That'll be all fun, but I'll cover that in the following weeks. Uh, big news, obviously, the big holiday coming up is Thanksgiving. Uh, and for my friend group, Bros Giving the night before, I know everybody likes to do their own Friendsgiving and and that's cool and everything. Ours is the bros giving. And that's not changing regardless of the amount of girls that will now be at this bros giving. It's still about the boys. And it's still our run, our show. Which, you know, we like to give the girls shit about that. That's fine. But, uh, yeah. So, lots of fun things coming up in the future. And, you know, and, and this is all on top of the fact that I'm hopefully closing on a house in less than a month. And uh, things have gone well. I mean, it's funny because everyone's like, hey, so, like, did you get it? I'm a Browns fan. I don't like to count my chickens before they hatch. Okay, I remember the time that they're up 14, and my mom said, Jake, game is over. And the Bears scored 14 points in the last, like, minute and 20 seconds to tie it, one in overtime. I know better than to say it's over, it's done, until it's actually over or until it's actually done. And and it's funny because everyone asks these questions. I don't even know where I am with this process. I've I've never bought a house before, you know. So I know that's like okay, we're through attorney review, whatever that means. Uh, we've done the inspection, and now it's back into the lawyer's hands, apparently. And the lawyer's going to go back to that lawyer, and that lawyer's going to get back to my lawyer, and it's all fun, really not fun stuff. Uh, so, it, but I'm excited for where it's going. And hopefully move into a very empty house with nothing but uh, my clothes. Because I don't really have any furniture yet. So that will be a slow move. Fortunately, I'm coming from my parents' house. So I'm not being like kicked out of an apartment. Or I don't have like rent due or anything like that. It's just basically 
once I buy this house, then start the mortgage payments, and uh, and yeah, we're we're, we're <laughs> and then we'll start rolling. So I can slowly roll into the house, but yeah, lots of fun things coming up, and I'm sure to keep you guys posted on those as they appear. Now, let's get into the sports action this week. The Browns hosted the Atlanta Falcons, and boy, did they look good. Baker Mayfield and Freddie Kitchens led the offense to 28 points. They pounded the ball on the ground and looked really good. Nick Chubb with his best game yet. Uh, he won the FedEx Ground Player of the Week this week, and he's up for Rookie of the Week as well, which I think he's going to win. Uh, Baker Mayfield's also up for Rookie of the Week, but I think this is a good week to give it to Chubb. And then that would be seven of the ten winners would be Cleveland Browns, which would be insane for Rookie of the Week, that is. Uh, yeah, but it's just, you know, it's it's so cool. You know, Browns are now at the bye. Yes, there are only three, six, and one, but it's really easy to argue that they could have a winning record. Uh, of those of those six losses and tie, you have some of the best teams in football too. Chargers, Chiefs. I mean, they're top five teams in in, in football. Saints. They had that Saints game, you know, and they blew it with kicks. And the Steelers, you know, that's the those are four of their six losses are four of the six top teams in the NFL, and that's you can't even argue that. You, know, you could even argue the top five teams in the NFL, uh, and then obviously the tie to the Steelers, the game that I was at. So, you know, the the Browns are are a super improved team, both sides of the ball. Their defense, you know, when they really clamp down and they're healthy too that's important because against the chiefs you really didn't get a good look because they weren't healthy we're out so many d-backs and uh obviously the linebackers hitting the shelf too but now showbert's back and kirksey's down but showbert is like the blood of this defense and you really need him he's like the heart pumping everything around the defense ward was able to play damaris randall's able to play peppers was able to play they got a lot of life back into the defense this week, and it really showed. They had a really nice fourth down, uh, four, you know, goal line stand. They had another one where the Falcons had to score on fourth down. They had four, eight plays to score one touchdown, uh, in, you know, in those two drives. So the Browns did a really good job of holding the Falcons, limiting them to points, forcing number uh, another couple fumbles, uh, one from Sanu, one from Matt Ryan. And you know what? This unit definitely looks like they're playing better with Greg Williams at head coach. And I know everyone's seen the pictures of how the team reacts after a win under Greg Williams versus a win under Hugh Jackson. That's undeniable. So as much as I think it's a little bit of just a screen grab at the right time and the wrong time, you know, regardless, it, the team is playing better. And then on offense, I mean, you just see the they're running the plays that work best for this team. They're getting the ball into the playmakers' hands, most notably Chubb and Duke Johnson, and then also David Njoku. They don't treat any one receiver more important, which I think is great and the perfect way to build an offense. You know, the way the best teams that the Patriots had, they were sharing the ball. Yes, they had Gronk, yes, they had Randy Moss, you know, and they've had guys like Deion Branch, but when they're at their best, it's when Tom Brady reels back, he has five linemen blocking for him, and then he has five players to pass the ball to, and all of them are just as capable as the others. 
You have James White out there. You have Julian Edelman out there. You have um, Chris Hogan out there. You have, you know, in the past, there's Aaron Hernandez and, and Rob Gronkowski. And, and you know, even without Randy Moss, you still had receivers out there where no one was that important that the defense could just close down on one guy and then it became, can you get your playmaker the ball? That's why you never see big-time wide receivers winning the Super Bowl. And I know there have been plenty of good wide receivers to win the Super Bowl, but you look at the guys like T.O., you look at the guys like Randy Moss, um, I mean, in our generation, Calvin Johnson, you know, Chad Johnson, uh, now the guys like Julio and Mike Evans and AJ Green and, and I mean Antonio Brown. None of these guys have won Super Bowls. It makes you think: What is the important position? It's obviously quarterback. And you know, I think the best way to build an offense, and I think the Browns are slightly doing that, is just surround your quarterback with equal options, so that a you're not too reliant on one guy. So that if he goes down with injury or if he gets too expensive, you're screwed. So that's the one thing you want to avoid, and I think they're doing that. And B, you know, this way it, it just throws the defense off because they can't key in on one guy, and you can just throw to whether it's Higgins or Duke or Njoku, whoever's out there, just whoever's open. And I think that's the best way to do a Baker Mayfield, Mayfield offense. And obviously when Nick Chubb and the interior line is playing like they are, you really have a, a good formula for success. And the big stats, ever since Hugh Jackson was fired, they've given up two sacks and they've had four um I'm sorry, they've had four penalties. You know, and they've only given uh, given away the ball one time. Uh two times, sorry. They've thrown two interceptions, one each game. But two sacks, two turnovers, four penalties. In two games total. I think that's great. I think that just shows. A. How bad the coaching was before. That when you fire a coach. Your team gets better. I mean when you fire a coach. Your team is supposed to hit the tank button. And the Browns are actually gaining blood. That's how below margin he was. So I'm really excited. Just to see where this team is going. There's going to be a lot of talk in the future. About who's the next head coach. I'm not really worried about that right now. I want to see how the team develops. The last six games, we are at the bye week. My cousin Pat said it best. This is like the first time in forever that the bye week is kind of like a burden that we actually want football. Usually we're like, oh, we could use the break. But no, not not right now. Right now we're really excited. So, you know, it's it's you know, it's just really cool because it's fun to watch football around the league now. And uh, <laughs> well, actually, before I get into that, I do want to point out in Baker's post game. He said something that was so cool. And they asked him how he was feeling. And he said, yeah, I woke up feeling pretty dangerous. And the media laughed. And and he was like, yeah, no, nothing to elaborate. Just felt pretty dangerous woken up on Sunday morning. And, and everyone's talking about that quote. And the moment he said that, I'm like, oh, we're like four seconds away from like awesome t-shirts coming out. Because that's the one thing Cleveland fans know how to do. Even when they're losing, they knew how to put some merchandise out there. I mean, nobody makes merchandise like Cleveland does. We have our t-shirt company game is on fleek. Is that what the kids say? On fleek, on point, whatever. 
regardless, there were some t-shirts like the morning after of that. And my friend Joe pointed out, he goes, man, how cool is it that Baker Mayfield coined such an awesome phrase that like no one's come up with before? I know. It's unbelievable. He's feeling pretty dangerous. Like, how cool is that? And now it's on t-shirts, and, and it's like, I just can't believe we have this quarterback. We better not screw this up. Surround him with playmakers. Get him some better offensive tackles. I mean, you know, Chris Hubbard has not done well. Uh, Robinson's done okay. Desmond Harrison shows some potential, but man, he he does some pretty boneheaded penalties sometimes. So it looks like they're going to have to fix that position, but with Baker and Chubb, and at least Duke and Njoku and Callaway and Higgins, you, you've got the core for the future. You know, Landry's going to have to step it up because he's getting paid a lot of money. Uh, and he, right now, he's just acting like just another guy out there. He needs to really, you know, he commands the ball a lot. He needs to pull down the ball more. Anyway, really excited for where the Browns are going. And just see, watching them makes me want to watch more football. Like, I'll be watching the Packers and Seahawks tonight. Um, I like the Packers tonight, I, but I've been off on every Thursday night game. So, I mean, I think I'm like two and seven or whatever. So I still like the Packers, though. I think they're getting three. So I really like that. I think they win by like four, maybe seven. Uh, I just think Aaron Rodgers, the, the dude, balls out. He, he puts the ball exactly where he wants to every time, and he can sling it. Uh, and I just don't love the Seahawks offense, maybe they get to 21 points and I think, uh, Packers win 28, 21, but I'll get to my picks later. Uh, I just, uh, I have more faith in, in Aaron Rodgers' offense right now. And, and I know he's going to be missing some guys, but man, it, it's just cool to watch football though, because I used to watch the Browns. They'd bum me out and I wouldn't want to watch football after that. I'd just say, you know what? I don't want to watch it. This team is depressing me. I don't want to watch mediocre teams win football games when my bum-ass team can't win shit. But now, my team is not bum-ass. My team is working hard. They are young, and they are really fun to watch, and they have a bright future, so I'm really excited. And especially since I look at the teams my friends root for, you know, we I know a lot of Giants and Jet fans, and I think the Browns have a much brighter future than those two teams right now. And granted, the Giants have won two Super Bowls. They've been to the playoffs a bunch of times. Jets have even made it to the playoffs a couple times, you know, in in my lifetime, where the Browns are, you know, basically shut out since 1999. They've made the playoffs one time. So, yeah, I know history is on my side, at least on relative history. But if we're looking to the future, there's no doubt that the Browns have a bright one. Uh, but, yeah, watching a lot of football around the league. Uh it's really cool watching the Red Zone channel, and then I saw a great game, not this past week, or the week before, Michael Thomas scored a touchdown against the Los Angeles Rams, uh, Saints-Rams, great game, really good game to watch, and for his touchdown celebration, he runs under the goalpost and picks up a cell phone, makes a call, answers it, throws the phone away, Joe Horn style, and it was so cool to see him pay respects and, and it was just so unexpected because Michael Thomas is kind of like a really quiet guy. He doesn't seem very flashy at all. He's always he's a military family guy. It was very strange to see him pull that move. But uh, hey, it was really cool. And the touchdown celebrations have been 
awesome ever since they've allowed teams to do a little bit more there. Now, he got flagged for bringing out the cell phone. Troy Aikman had to stick up his butt about it, but Saints still won, and uh, it didn't cost them too much because they didn't really give up anything after that. So it ended up being the game-winning touchdown. So lighten up, Troy. But it made me think, man, what are the best touchdown celebrations out there? And this is a tough one to grade. Because there are a lot of very specific ones, like, you know, you have the LT does the pop flip, where every time he runs in the end zone, he pops his arm out and flips the ball. Uh, and then obviously, like, Megatron and Jimmy Graham would dunk the ball over the goalposts. Or even, uh, you know, Dion doing primetime. Gronk, Ahmad Bradshaw have some pretty epic spikes. I love the Ahmad Bradshaw spike, by the way. I think that one's, like really underrated and i didn't i don't like the giants and he you know made that famous when he was on the giants but i still like that so there are a lot of celebratory ones out there that you really like and uh, a special shout out to like the lions because every time they go out there now they don't have golden tate anymore because he's kind of been one of the guys behind all of their great celebrations. He did the people's elbow. He was part of the one when on Thanksgiving Day they sat around a table and acted like they're eating Thanksgiving. Uh, they did the Rockets in December last year too. They've some, the Lions have done some really good touchdown celebrations, and the Vikings have too. They did the duck duck goose the one time. Uh, and, and the Saints, obviously, they have theirs too. So a lot of really good celebrations out there. So we're going to do a quick top five of touchdown celebrations. This is just according to Jake. Number five, I'm going to go back to the Joe Horn, Michael Thomas cell phone. I just thought at the time, like, it's not a big celebration, but, man, it was so cool to see him just pop out a, a cell phone out of there. It really, like, shook everything. I thought that was so cool, and it really, like, change the celebration game for sure and then michael thomas obviously redoing it was really cool number four i got lance moore when he did the hingle mccringleberry oh my god like first of all great key and peel skit very underrated show key and peel and they did a lot of good skits one of them was uh they did like kind of like a joke on the east versus west like college all-star games and they just made fun of all of the ridiculous names. Like they would say things like Ozimataz Buckshank and Hingle McCringleberry. And they really elaborated on these skits because they turned it from just introducing player names, uh, Quattro Quattro. <laughs> they started by just introducing players' names, but then they elaborated on it and did an actual game where Hingle McCringleberry went into the end zone, scored a touchdown, and did three hip thrusts. And apparently you're only allowed to do two. You can't do three. And the whole time he's like arguing with the ref that he did two, stopped, and then did a separate one. And, and it's so funny seeing him argue with the ref over touchdown celebrations. You've got to see the Hingle McCringleberry skit. And then Lance Moore does a perfect, absolutely flawless recreation of it. Love it. It should be higher on this list, but the top three are special ones. Number three, um, you know, Kevin Byard just did a celebration where he gave a shout out to Terrell Owens when he went to the Dallas Star 
Titans, yeah, it was Titans Cowboys, and he ran to midfield and did the star celebration in Dallas, which at the time I was like, come on, man, you are not good enough to be doing that celebration. Like, if, like, you know, I know Michael Thomas just did his for Joe Horn, but Michael Thomas is an all pro wide receiver. Kevin Byard, you're really good, but you're no T.O., man. Like, there has to be some name recognition if you're going to do the T.O. in the Dallas Star thing. So, for my number three, I'm going with just the Terrell Owens triple of the T.O. Star, the T.O. Sharpie, and the T.O. Popcorn. Because when he did those, it was just like, oh my gosh. Like, can't look away. Hate him, love him, whatever. It's still, like, huge newsworthy. I thought when he broke out the Sharpie, that was the coolest. When he grabbed the fan's popcorn and dumped it in his mouth, that was just like, that was just for show. I thought that was really funny. But he actually grabbed a Sharpie from his sock, signed the ball, and handed it to like his agent's friend or whatever in the first row. And that was something else. Like that probably, it might be one of the best ever, but my top two are really good ones. Number two, I'm going with the Randy Moss Moon uh, in a tight divisional game with the Green Bay Packers when both the Vikings and the Packers were like two of the top teams, not only in their division, but the NFC Conference. And basically was, you know, this was a game where I I don't think it was a playoff game. I think it was just end of the season. And it was very important because like the winner was going to win the division and the loser might be a wild card. Kind of a lot was on the line. It might have been a playoff game, but I think it was just end of the season. And Randy Moss scores a long touchdown from Dante Culpepper, runs over to like the Lambo leap area, and then fakes mooning the crowd. Now, at the time, it's like whatever, but part of it is Joe Buck's reaction was if Randy Moss like went over and like slapped one of the fans in the face. He treated it like it was the biggest disrespectful thing of all time. And hearing him do that, and he's been made fun of a million times for his overreaction, but man, was that something else when he shot the moon and Chris Collinsworth is laughing and Joe Buck is just like, that is a disgusting act. I can't believe it. So to me, that's like the most memorable touchdown celebration. But my number one, you know, a lot of people think this is lame because it's been done so many times. But to me, I just think it's super cool because you got to remember why you're doing this game, what you're doing it for, who you're doing it for. And my number one's the Lambo Leap. Uh, you've seen it done a million times, but it's the oldest, like, coolest stadium. It's the team that's owned by the town. There's not some, like, big shot owner that came in from nowhere. This is the Packers are a different team for this reason. And I love seeing the players jump into the crowd and celebrate with the team with the fans like that. It's just it's my hands down favorite celebration and I think it's really cool. All right, so going around Cleveland a little bit more, touching on the other Cleveland sports teams. Uh we're in the baseball off season which for the Indians is always a very dead time. They don't have a lot of money to go spend on big-time free agents. And when they do, it always seems like they're paying a lot for a guy that used to be good or they're taking a chance on a young guy who has had a really bad career so far. So it's kind of tough to watch the Indians 
operate in the same field as the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Cubs, all these teams that have basically unlimited funds. So baseball is a little rough right now, especially since all the awards are coming around. Uh, Kluber did not win Cy Young. Jose Ramirez did not win MVP. Neither of them should have, but you know, regardless, you still you know root for your guys there. And through all this, it's being rumored that Corey Kluber might get traded to the New York Yankees. Now, I have like I love Corey Kluber. The guy is the man. He's always a Cy Young candidate, and even though he's lost a little bit of speed on his fastball. He's still like one of the top three pitchers in the AL. And, you know, forgive me for thinking this, but I think he's the type of pitcher that even if he loses some speed, he's still going to be super effective because he'll keep hitting his spots and his just movement on his pitches is so good too. So I think it would be a, a mistake to trade him for anything less than a superstar in return. Now, that's not going to happen. So I'm a little worried about them possibly moving Kluber, uh, especially since he's not making a ton of money and they can afford to keep him. And if they're going to trade him just so that they can get rid of a bad contract, I don't like that because I don't think the ca- the Indians are going to do anything with that extra money. So forgive me for not wanting to give up a Cy Young guy just so we can clear some some salary cap. I think that's frustrating. You know, they're going to lose Michael Brantley because Michael Brantley is going to get $20 million a year and we can't pay him that. So, you know, excuse me for, you know, being a little bit of a pessimist here. The other thing that bothers me is, you know, if they trade Kluber to the Yankees, that would just be, that'd be rough for me being an Indians fan living in New Jersey because I don't think the Yankees will truly, or for the most part, the Yankee fans won't truly appreciate Kluber because he gets appreciated so much in Cleveland, and I just don't want to see him go to the Yankees. I understand trading him, but I really don't want to tra- trade him here. That would really bother me, you know, especially since Yankee fans, for the most part, I know there's plenty of them out there that aren't like this, but unfortunately, guys, there are millions and millions and millions of Yankees fans and too many of them are loud obnoxious guidos you see on TV so I'm sorry but that's how the world works is that you get lumped in with them and a lot of them won't appreciate Corey Kluber and won't appreciate how fucking hard it is to get an ace like you shouldn't be able to just trade for a 32 year old ace that makes eight million dollars a year like, that shouldn't be possible, considering aces get paid 27 to $33 million a year, and you need to draft them and keep them because they're supposed to cost an arm and a leg, right? Chris Sale gets traded to Boston. It costs them two top-end prospects, like a future ace and a, and Yoan Mankata, who's like supposed to be like an all-star already. It shouldn't be easy to get Corey Kluber from the Indians. And that's the frustrating part is because I think they're going to make it too easy. And if the Yankees get him, that's it's just going to be like, oh, yeah, cool, we got Corey Kluber. No, it should be like, how the fuck did we get Corey Kluber? 
That should be the reaction. And instead, it's like, oh, I'll take Corey Kluber. That's the part that bothers me. You know? And it's, and, and I had this discussion. Obviously, this comes from a discussion I had with my friends who are Yankee fans. And they think, how is that any different from Jake, you saying, oh, I'd be, you know, I'm going to be pretty bummed if the Cavs don't get uh, Zion uh, Williamson. And I'd be like, well, you know, Zion Williamson is one of the top players in the draft, and the Cavs are the worst team in the NBA. They should get one of the top players in the draft. But the way the stupid lottery works is, even if the Cavs finish with five wins this year and finish with 77 losses, they still have a near 50% chance of getting the fifth overall pick because of the stupid lottery rules. I mean, look, I get you're trying to dissuade tanking, but what if a team loses LeBron James and they built their team around LeBron James and now he's not there and now they suck? Like, the whole idea is to give the sucky teams good players so that they can get back to the top. The NBA is a tough formula. There's no perfect answer for anything out there, but man, it would really suck for them to go into this draft after having such a terrible year and, you know, lottery night comes and they miss out on the the guy that is supposed to like fix your franchise. I mean, the Cavs are terrible and they and they missed out on Anthony Davis and instead they got Dion Waiters with like the fourth pick or whatever. That sucked. And then they got the one number one pick the next year when Anthony Bennett was the number one pick. Talk about missing a year. The year before was Anthony Davis. Year after was Anthony Bennett. That's a one year difference. So yeah, color me different. You know, this is this is not the same as oh, I'll happily take Corey Kluber, you know, and wanting, an, uh, you know, a superstar. Because if you're a shitty team, you're supposed to get a high draft pick. If you are a contending team, you're not supposed to just get an ace for free. That's the difference here. Especially when the ace is under contract of another team. Had Corey Kluber been a free agent and Yankees fans been like, yeah, I'll take Corey Kluber. I'll be like, yeah, of course you'll take Corey Kluber. But I wouldn't be up in arms about it because, you know, of course, they're the Yankees. They get a ton of money. They can throw it anyway. But we're going to see a lot of those signings coming up with Machado and Harper. I mean, after that, it's a huge fall. But I'm excited to see how much they make because, you know, Frankie Lindor is not going to re-sign with Cleveland. I want him to make like $700 million. I want to be crazy. Okay, and I touched on it before. The Cavs, they're a disaster. Uh, they've won, I think, two games. Maybe three. I know they beat the Hornets. And uh, did they beat the Magic? Did they blow that? I don't know. They're bad this year. It's not good. Uh, every time they look good for like a quarter, then they play three bad quarters. They are... Not even built to be around LeBron. That just shows how impressive LeBron was last year, taking this ragtag bunch that might get the worst record of all time to the NBA Finals. I mean, he is incredible. And this team is not. They could use a facelift. Colin Sexton, uh, he's 19, and he's really starting to come into his own now. He plays a million miles an hour. It, the jump shot still looks a little iffy. But 
just the way he plays, that's a guy you want on your team on the floor. So I'm excited to watch him grow. The Cavs have some very interesting, weird pieces. Like, I like Sam Decker. I like Larry Nance. I like Chetty Oshman. I like Rodney Hood. But these are a lot of guys that are like your 6th, 7th, 8th man. They're missing a focal point. And I think R.J. Barrett would be the best guy to get if they're going to be picking one or two uh, from Duke. But Zion is as exciting as as a player since LeBron came out because he can dunk from the free throw line. He gets major air. Alley-oops are huge. Like It would be a very exciting facelift uh, for the Cavs after a, a, what's going to be a really shitty season. So the Cavs are playing the tank game, and at this point it's all about acquiring more draft capital. They have a bunch of guys on their roster that might be uh, – might be attractive to other teams. You know, George Hill is a, a veteran point guard that I know a team like the Spurs could use. Uh, Kevin Love is a focal point forward center that a lot of teams could use as well, but trying to find a, a partner is going to be difficult because he makes so much money and you want to be able to get a good draft pick back and trading him to contender is not really going to get you a good draft pick. But then there's also guys like Rodney Hood, J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, Tristan Thompson, that can help a team that's fighting to make the playoffs become a real playoff contender because those are guys that you need to be a good basketball team. You know, there's not always going to be a Paul George to be traded. You know, sometimes it's going to be role players. That's what the Cavs have. They have a lot of role players. They don't need all of them. They need a focus guy a main guy. They have their point guard of the future that they just need to let play through the pans. Now they need that focal point like superstar. Uh, they don't grow on trees. So we'll see if uh, the Duke hero is going to come. And last but not least, before we get into our picks of the week, uh, which again, I'm not going to do all the picks. I'm just going to do run through them real quick and tell you which ones I like the most. But... I have a one-minute movie review and a one-minute TV show review. So we'll start off with Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, so long story short on Bohemian Rhapsody, I didn't really like it. I knew going in that I was going to be let down because I had such a high bar, but biopics, in my opinion, just aren't that great. And this felt like a lot of pandering a lot of fan service, as some people like to call it, where it, it just felt like they were spoon-feeding me Queen stuff when I was like, listen, give me a little more credit than that. Stop treating me like I'm a freaking child and like show me the real story. But since you wanted to play Queen music in the movie, you had to get Queen to sign off on it. And if Queen was going to sign off on it, they were going to look good. And at times they looked good. They made Freddie Mercury look like a real dick. Uh, they lied about a few things, uh, like the huge timeline of the fact that they treated it like he was dying of AIDS going on to the Live Aid concert, when, meanwhile, he wasn't diagnosed with AIDS until two years after that. Uh, the break in the movie where they broke up really didn't happen. 
And uh, other than that, there are a couple small things like how the band got together wasn't really accurate, but that's that's small stuff. And then they just shoved it down your fo- throat of how much like they were a band without Freddie Mercury and Freddie Mercury tried to stick it to him by going on a solo career, which also didn't happen. So I don't know. It's just uh, I didn't love it. I like the music. I thought Rami Malek did a really good job and it just. I don't know. It, it just was missing a storyline. They decided to fast forward through some really what would have been great stuff if you showed more of Queen concerts, but instead they made it like a huge montage of here. Thank you, Cleveland. Thank you, Phoenix. Thank you, Los Angeles. And they just showed them thanking crowds on their American tour, but never really, you know, showing them play music there. And then instead, they showed them like the downfall of Freddie Mercury for like a half an hour, where they really didn't need to show that because apparently it wasn't that dramatic in real life. So, I don't know. I just didn't like the movie. I thought it was a reach, and everybody was so excited to go see it. And to me, it was just it was just a big letdown. So I don't know. I give it two thumbs down. Um, Big time boo. I give it a 40 out of 100. Uh, because, you know, I still like the music. I still thought the acting was good. I just thought it was just a piece of crap. So, that's my thought. Alright. But, one thing I did like this week was my one minute movie review of the Netflix original series, Haunting of Hill House. Now, Haunting of Hill House pretty scary show and for those who know me know jake scares easily i am a bit jumpy in the movie theaters and i was a bit jumpy on the couch watching 10 episodes of this uh it starts out not really all too scary there are a couple like pop like gotchas early on but not a really you know for some people saying it's the scariest show that's scariest they've ever been It wasn't like that for me, at least early on. But then it really hit their stride in the fourth, fifth, sixth episode, where it was scaring you with the pop-out stuff. It was scaring you with ghosts and creepy house and all, like, you know, hearing things but not seeing them, doors opening but nobody being there, you know, things moving in the night. All of that got pretty scary, but the scariest part of the show was that this house got people to think about the things they truly love the most and what taking that away from them would really be like. And I thought that was the scariest thing of all time. Because no one ever thinks to do that in a scary movie or scary show. Their scary movie is always like, you know, gruesome stuff or just scaring you with screams or a um, a scary-looking bad guy those are usually the ways to scare people. This one, though, they didn't try and frighten you. They tried to just take what you love and say, what if you lost that? How devastating would that be? And, man, that fucking sucked. That was scary. And throw in the fact that there were a lot of pop-out and gotchas and wind chimes moving and banging on doors and no one being there. It was, it was scary shit. So, I recommend it. 
I don't like scary stuff usually, but my girlfriend loves it, so she really wanted to watch it, and I thought it was a good idea. Uh, I recommend it highly to anyone that can take a scary movie, a scary show, because it was really good. The ending, I thought they got a little soft. I wish they kept it horrifying like the rest of the show was, but I think they got a little soft on me, and to be honest, I didn't need that. You know, I wanted... I wanted them to kind of Game of Thrones it, you know? And that's my problem with Game of Thrones is that they've been a little pandering and fan-servicing the last, you know, season and a half, two seasons, and I really don't want that. My favorite thing about Game of Thrones, and it's the favorite thing about The Wire and uh, most HBO shows, is nobody's ever safe, and it keeps you on the edge of your seat that you always feel like your favorite character is certainly at risk of dying at any second. So I was that was always my favorite thing about those shows. Um, and then I think Game of Thrones got a little soft. But I'm not here to complain about Game of Thrones. They're bringing it back for season 8, the final season, in April. And they finally released the teaser trailer, which revealed no information, but just gets everybody pumped that they have an announcement and that they finish filming. So, uh, listen, all good. It was a lot of fun, but time to do some picks, all right? I told you I like Green Bay this week. Um, I, I don't love picking the Thursday game, so this isn't a bet for me of my five bets. Carolina is at Detroit, and they're a four-and-a-half-point favorite. I think the Panthers are a really good pick here because... I don't think Detroit has much of a home field advantage, and since trading Golden Tate, they really haven't shown to be able to uh, compete all that much. I like the Panthers here. Uh, one of my favorite picks of the week, at Atlanta, Dallas. Atlanta's given three and a half, and I love them in this game because the Falcons were embarrassed by the Browns, and we just saw Dallas play their best game of the year at Philly. And I think there's a little bit of letdown from the Cowboys this week. And I think there's a little bit of a revenge game for the Falcons. Having it at home will certainly help. Having it healthy will certainly help. They, they got their linebacker going back this week too. So I, I really love the Falcons this week. Three and a half point favorites. They're probably my top pick of the week. Baltimore. Hosting Cincinnati, Baltimore is a four and a half point favorite. This one is very tough to pick. Flacco might be out. Lamar Jackson might also be out. Really sucks because you want to see Lamar Jackson get some actual quarterback time. And the one time Flacco's out, he looks to be sick. Really don't want to pick this game. Uh, I I will say that if Flacco plays four and a half points is a great line for the Ravens because the Bengals defense, even though they fired their coordinator, has been giving up a zillion points a drive, it seems like. And they've had some tough matchups, but it, the Bengals are really falling apart now. And it's a great time to have to play them. And it's a great time to have to play Hugh Jackson, who, once he got fired, oh my gosh, did we not talk about the Hugh Jackson getting fired? Oh my God, I don't think I talked about that. So, yeah, guys, Hugh Jackson was fired from the Cleveland Browns, and ever since then, things have been going really well because the team rallies around, go figure, 
guys that don't throw you under the bus. You know what? I gotta save the Hugh Jackson stuff for another time. That's just too much right now. But regardless, I like the Ravens. Um, no matter who's at quarterback, I just don't like Cincinnati, especially Andy Dalton going up against the Ravens defense. Chicago is a three and a half point favorite hosting Minnesota. Uh, the Bears are just the better team. That's the basic point. I picked the Bears to be one of the most improved teams in football. I thought they would compete for a wild card spot. And to be honest, I think if they win this game, they're going to be the odds on favorite of NFC North champions. Minnesota, I think, is just a pretty decent team, but. Maybe at Minnesota, they're the better team, but at Chicago, I like the Bears here. And I think if Minnesota really wants to make this upset, they're going to have to make Trubisky make throws under pressure. He seems like he's been comfortable all season long, and he's done a really good job this year. But, you know, they, they need to make uh, they need to make him do that a little bit, a little more. So uh, next up is Philly at New Orleans. Um, I, this one's tough because this seems like the Saints are definitely going to win, but I really like the Eagles because I think they can keep up. And I think with Ertz and Jeffrey and Tate and a pretty decent run game that they should trust more, they're going to be able to score points. Uh, I think this one is like a 34-30 Saints victory. Then we got the Indianapolis Colts are two-and-a-half-point favorites hosting the Tennessee Titans. Uh, another one, I think the Titans are coming off of an emotional win. They think they're very good. I don't think they're very good. I think the Colts are one of the are the best bad football team. I forget who pointed that out. Maybe my friend Steven Lorenzo at NBC Sports. I don't even think they're any bad anymore. I think they're a mediocre team. And I don't like the Titans. I think the Colts, as long as they continue to protect Andrew Luck, they can do whatever they want on offense. And it is great to see investments in the offensive line paying off because I love to see teams be rewarded for investing in the offensive line. Braden Smith, Quentin Nelson, uh, Ryan Kelly, Anthony Costanzo, they've got a real offensive line that protects the hell out of Andrew Luck. It was the one thing they needed to do. The one thing they needed to do was protect Andrew Luck, and they've been doing it. I love the Colts. I think they're going to make a run here. They're not going to make the playoffs, but they're going to make a run to the ends of the season, similar of what the Niners did last year, and you're saying, hey, listen, this team's for real. Not to mention all that money they're going to have this offseason. Maybe they are the team that makes a run at Le'Veon Bell. Add Le'Veon Bell to that offensive line with Andrew Luck and a couple of pretty good receivers. Like, holy shit, maybe the Colts are going to be the favorites real soon. Okay, Houston at Washington and a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Love the Redskins here. They're a good football team. I mean, even though they keep on losing offensive linemen and offensive players like Chris Thompson and uh, Paul Richardson and uh you know, Jordan Reed, I'm still waiting for him to get hurt because he always gets hurt. I still like the Redskins. They control the ball. They slow the game down. They're usually good for 18 to 24 points every game. Outside of a couple early season slip-ups, they've been a really good football team. And every time they've been doubted, they've just overcome it. So I think 
I think their defense is being totally underrated here. Now, Houston has had the extra time, but this just screams trap. Uh, no, 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 no. This is, this is a great pick for the Skins here. Three and a half points. I think they went outright hosting Houston Texans here. And uh, if they can get after Deshaun Watson, I think that's the big key here. All right. Tampa Bay is a one-and-a-half-point underdog going to the Giants. Uh, don't love picking this game. Not a big fan of this game. But I will say this. JPP, revenge game, coming to the Meadowlands. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick coming back to the Meadowlands. Deshaun Jackson, we know what he's done at the Meadowlands. I don't think the Bucks' offense will be stopped. And I don't think the Giants have any business being a favorite to any team. I know they just won, but man, making them one-and-a-half-point favorites to a team that beat the Saints, to a team that put up like 40 on the Steelers, that can really score with the best of the teams in the league. Uh, no, I, I, I like the Bucks here, even though I hate betting the Bucks, Because you know, any day now, the Fitzmagic's going to end, and it's back to Jameis, and they suck again. All right, Chargers, 7.5-point favorite over Denver. Uh, you guys all know my Super Bowl pick was Chargers over Rams. Uh, I love the pick right now. I will say that in the regular season, the Chargers haven't been given them enough love because they don't put teams away. They let teams hang around. You know, the Raiders were in that game last week, and they shouldn't have been. And that's why I kind of like Denver to cover here because I think Denver does a good job of slowing games down they have a really good and underrated defense that I think is going to give fits to the Chargers receivers. But at the end of the day, the Chargers are the better football team. I just think 7.5 is too much. I think they win 28-21. All right, Oakland is at Arizona. Uh, another game where two shitty teams. I'm taking the team that's actually shown that they've been, been good. Uh, outside of an inexcusable Hugh Jackson-esque loss to the Raiders, you know, they're the worst team in the NFL. They haven't won a game outside of that one. And it's too bad because if they go 1-15 and the Browns could have made them go 0-16 and, and erase the memory of the 0-16 Browns, that would have been pretty cool. But alas, the Browns blew it. And, uh, I mean, part of that was officiating. Part of it was Hugh Jackson. Regardless, he was gone. Peace and harmony. <laughs> Uh, but I like the cards here because they've actually shown that they can compete with some teams. They just lose a couple drives each game. Uh, they actually held on against the Chiefs, held or hang around, hung around, excuse me, hung around for a really long time in that game. So I like them here. Uh, even though I wouldn't like to bet them, yeah, I have to pick this game going four and a half points. Uh, I'll give it. Okay. Pittsburgh. At Jacksonville, Jacksonville's getting five and a half. Uh, I think I like the Jags here only because I hate the Steelers, so I don't really want to pick this game. The Steelers are getting hot right now. They've had some extra rest. But uh, the Jags, you know, it's do or die time for them. And uh, hopefully this just rejuvenates them because last year they played in the AFC Championship game and to beat the Steelers to get there, so... Hopefully they don't lose too much swagger. I know they're three and six and things aren't looking good. And Jalen Ramsey's shit talking from the summer is 
really soured because they've only won three games. And they're basically out of the playoff mix. Uh, but I like the Jags because I think it's do or die time. And five and a half's a lot for a good defensive team. So let's see them man up and see if they've got any balls left. And finally, favorite pick of the week. The Chiefs are getting three and a half in L.A. for the Rams. Now, this was supposed to be in Mexico City, but unless you've been living under the rock, you know, <laughs> the rock, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that this stadium is in shambles and that Mexico City really blew their chance at NFL football by taking it for granted. They had a month to clean up this Shakira concert residue that was everywhere, and they didn't. Their field looks like garbage. I don't. I mean, you know, hey, this is partially the NFL's fault for not checking up on this earlier, uh, but it's also on on Mexico City or whoever runs Azteca or whatever the stadium's called. It's you know, you blew it. This was your chance, and now they won't be bringing the NFL to Mexico City. I know they're trying to make it more international, but man, uh, that sucked. Regardless, Chiefs getting three and a half points. I mean, come on, you got to take that every day. I know the Rams have been awesome this year, but the Chiefs, outside of a last-second field goal to the Patriots, are undefeated. I think as long as Mahomes is doing his thing, they're going to score a ton of points. A little bit of a revenge game for Sammy Watkins because he was with the Rams last year and they gave up on him. And I think this is just a big Andy Reid tries to show his stuff type game. So we'll see the Chiefs put up 30-plus. We'll see the Rams put up 30-plus. It'll be a great game. I think ultimately the Chiefs come out on top. That's where I stand with this one. And I just think getting three and a half points with this offense, oof, that's fun. That's a good number. So anyway, those are my picks. I love the Chiefs. I love the Falcons this week. Those are two of my, my biggest picks. And uh, yeah, very excited, very excited for all the things coming up in the near future. Uh, lots of fun things going on. Anyway, thanks for listening to my podcast. It is getting late. Going to watch some football. Hasta la vista, baby. Talk to you later.